Part six of Prose Romances from the Oxford and Cambridge Magazine by William Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Goethe's Lovers, Chapter Four, Goethe the Queen. And meantime, how did it fare with Goethe? The time passed slowly between hope and fear, and all the time was weary with a sick longing that would have been no less had he but gone out on a hunting expedition she had pity too for those who were sick with love and dread and all those who looked on her loved her then one evening about sunset time as the nuns were singing in their chapel and she with them as the low sun struck through the western window and smote upon the gold about the altar till it changed it to a wonderful crimson upon which the pale painted angels that flecked the gold showed purer and paler than ever there came on that sunset evening far off and faint at first across the roofs of the houses up to the hill whereon the abbey stood a sound of shouting mingled with the wailing of women and the still sadder and more awful wailing of the great trumpets which seemed to be the gathered sorrow from the hearts of the men who themselves could not wail because of their manhood tremblingly the nuns heard it and their hymns fainted and died as that awful sound of the indignant sorrow of a whole people going up to heaven rose and deepened and swept onward and goethe turned pale even to the lips and trembled too at first like an aspen leaf her heart beating so the while that she could hear the throbbings of it but with a mighty effort she put back the trembling fever she said low to herself he's dead and i must not die yet then she left her seat and walked pale in her face like a marble statue up to the altar she turned round and faced the door and the sun none hindering her for they said she waits for news about the battle the sun was on her forehead at first as she stood still but it sank lower till it touched her lips and they seemed to quiver though she held them still in that flood of light so she stood when lo the clash of arms in the vestibule and there entered armed knights without bowing to the altar or crossing themselves luchnar first then barulf and some twenty lords following him the others gazed about confusedly at first but luchnar going before them all walked swiftly up to the place where goethe stood and fell before her feet spreading his arms out towards her as he did so and his iron armour rattled with strange echo about the vaulted roof she did not look at him her eyes beheld rather the far-off battlefield and olaf lying there somewhere under the earth queen goethe he began but his voice failed him for thronging memories sir barulf and the others drew reverently towards the two and waited a little way off standing in a half-circle he heaved a great sigh then bent lower yet till his mail clinked against the step whereon she stood then suddenly raised his passionate eyes to hers and gazed till she was forced to look on him both with heart and eyes she beheld him pityingly he said again queen goethe thereat she started queen goethe he is dead oh Luchna i heard the trumpets sing it so therefore i stayed here for his message what is it that you must be queen over us yet awhile lady goethe ah and must i be 
may i not go to him at once for do you know luchna and she stooped down low towards him and laid her hand on his head as he knelt do you know i saw him just now lying pale and cold waiting for me his arms stretched out this way towards me his changed eyes looking longingly o oh, noblest he said know you not with how many perils we are beset whose spirit but his can help us through and with whom does it dwell but with you she wept luchna though he call for me so yet perhaps that is because he is sick and weak and scarce knows what he says and i know that in his heart he desires above all things the safety of this people that goes westward so i will be queen till the last foe is vanquished tell them so then he took her hand how strangely as he held it did the poor flesh of him quiver how his heart melted in the midst of his body he held her hand and said i am queen gertha's liegeman then sprung to his feet and called aloud sir barrel for knights all come and do homage to gertha our queen then each man knelt before her and took her hand and said i am queen gertha's liegeman afterwards all standing about her together but lower than she clashed their swords and axes across her that rang out joyfully wildly half madly in that quiet place while the sun grew lower so that its light fell on her bosom and her face above looked out sad and pale and calm from among the flashing steel so that day gertha was made queen and then all throughout the city you might have heard the ringing of hammers on iron as the armourers did their work and the clinking of the masons trowels as they wrought at the walls strengthening them for the walls had grown somewhat weak as it was very many years since any enemy had threatened the city with a land army and on the sixth day came king boris having wasted the land far and wide as he marched now when he had sent a herald to demand the surrender of that city who had not even been suffered to enter it but had been answered scornfully from the walls he gnashed his teeth and mounting a great black horse and armed with a mace rode about ordering his battle then also gertha leaving her hall of council went round about the walls with a band of knights over her robes of purple and crimson her glorious hair flowed loose and a gold crown marked her circling her head while in her hand she bore a slim white rod for a leader's staff very faithful and true were all those in the town both soldiers and women but when she drew near to any their faith grew so that they seemed transported out of themselves the women wept for very love and the men shouted gertha gertha till all the air rang and king boris muttered stupidly from between his teeth they are praying to their gods the fools then turning about he said to one who was master of his artillery gaskin son of a dog bring up the catapults and shoot me down that woman there there she goes poking her head over the battlements quick o oh, wretch begotten by the devil's ram so gaskin fixed his catapult and aimed the rugged stone at gertha as she leaned over the wall thinking forgetting the fight and all for him just for a single instant he looked along the engine 
once twice thrice he started back without letting the catch slip dog said boris riding up why shoot us not the man looked up with drops of cold sweat hanging to his brow then stammered out oh my lord it is it is nothing there is there is, that is there is nothing there now but nor was there when i fitted the levers but when my hand went to the bolt each time i saw standing before me that man the king who was slain the other day his sword drawn in his hand and frowning on me terribly i cannot shoot my lord o lord save me he shrieked at last for boris hitching up his great iron mace by its thong into his hand began to swing it putting back his lips from his teeth and setting his head forward son of a rotten sheep can a ghost stop a stone from a petraria go and join king olaf so he struck him on the uplifted face between the eyes and gascan fell dead without a groan not to be known any more by his wife or mother even for the mace had shattered his skull now then said boris i will try the ghost of this fellow whom i slew once and whom i will slay again god being my help he leapt down from his horse and let his hand fall to the bolt but just as he did so before him calm but frowning stood olaf with bright gleaming sword and yellow hair blown by the wind art thou not dead then shouted boris furiously and with a great curse he drew the bolt the stone flew fiercely enough but not towards gertha it went sideways and struck down two of boris's own lords dashing the life out of the first and maiming the other for life boris flung on to his horse howling out like a mad dog witch witch and like a man possessed galloped toward the city as though he would leap wall and ditch screaming such mad blasphemy as cannot be written after him very swiftly galloped some fifty knights and men-at-arms for his protection and but just in time for one of the city gates swung open the drawbridge fell with a heavy thump and out rode a single knight armed with a northern axe instead of a spear slim in figure but seeming to be good at war he dashed through the first few of boris's horsemen who came up in scattered fashion because they had been riding as in a race unhorsing a man to the right and left of him as he passed through them then made right at the king as they met boris struck out blind with rage at the knight who putting aside the heavy mace smote him on the side of the helm that he tumbled clean out of the saddle gertha gertha shouted the knight and he caught boris's horse by the bridle and dashed off towards the gate again where in the flanking towers the archers stood ready to cover his retreat for some twenty yards as they galloped furiously on boris dragged in the stirrup then the stirrup leather broke and his horsemen seeing him lie still there gave up the pursuit of the victorious knight which was the better advised as the first flight of arrows from the bowmen had already slain three outright and wounded five and they were again getting their strings to their ears gertha lucknow for gertha rang from the knight again as he turned just before he crossed the drawbridge but the last of the enemies stood up in his stirrups 
and poised his lance in act to throw but before it left his hand an arrow had leapt through his throat and he fell dead gertha shouted the archer and then again the drawbridge swayed up letting little stones fall into the moat from it down rattled the portcullis and the heavy gate swung to then presently arose mightily the cry of gertha gertha the queen but withal when the pirates found that king boris was not slain but only very much bruised they advanced their engines and the catapults and ballistae and rams shook the wall and made many sore cracks in the older parts and the arrows flew like hail and the cats great wooden towers covered with skins to protect them from fire began to rise against the town nevertheless through all that weary day though the defenders were so few for the great length of wall they fought cheerfully and with good faith like the men they were so that when they brought news to battered king boris who lay tossing on his bed concerning how little progress they had made he gnashed his teeth and cursed and was right mad and all the while through the thunder of the ballistae's stones against the wall through the howling of the catapult stones as they came among them into the city through the gaunt uplifting of the misshapen rams through the noise of the sledge-hammers clamping the iron bands of the cat-towers through the whir of arrows through wounds and weariness and death of friends still rose the shout of gertha gertha the queen gertha guess whether many people lay awake that night or rather whether any slept at all save those who were utterly wearied out by that day's fighting or by their own restless excitement many did not even try to sleep but sat round about the cold hearth telling stories brave stories mostly of the good old times that were fathers to the good times now or else they would go about the walls in an eager fever to see what was going on and some there were who stood all that night by the bed of some sorely wounded friend and some mother lover friend stood also by bedsides holding the cold hands with bitter thoughts that were hard to bear that night was dark with much gusty wind and a drizzle of rain therefore though it was august and the days long yet it was quite dark by nine o'clock and a little after twilight the enemy's petrarie left off playing so that the besieged had rest but before daybreak the drizzle had changed to steady rain the winds having fallen even before dawn the camp was astir and two hours afterwards the cat towers were again building and the battering had begun again and so that day passed through the rainy hours of it and about two hours after noon the enemy tried to scale the lowest part of the wall near the harbour thereupon Gertha came to that part and looked on the fighters from a tower with a circle of knights round about. Therefore her people waxed so valiant that though the pirates, fighting like madmen, fixed the ladders to the wall, even through the storm of arrows and stones, for the tide was out and there was no water now round about the wall, they were nevertheless driven back with great slaughter. Also, on the other side of the town, one of the cat towers was fired, and many perished miserably therein that evening 
Gertha sat and took counsel with her lords and knights, whereon Luchnar arose and said, Noble lady, we must make a sortie, and collect every man and every boy too, to guard the walls meanwhile, for we are very few to guard so great a city, and the enemy is very many. Half our men are utterly worn out with these two days' fighting, coming so close upon their long march. The walls, either old and crumbling, or new and still damp, are cracked in twenty places. They are making a great raft for the crossing of the moat. Go to the open window, lady, and you will hear, though it is night, the sound of their hammers busy on it. When King Boris can put on his armour again, would that I had slain him outright! We shall be attacked in twenty places at once, and then I fear it will go hard with the fair city. We must make a night attack, and do all the burning and slaying that we may. Dear knight, said Barulf, you are young and wise. This thing must be done. Let someone get together two thousand of our best men, and those that are least wearied. Let them be divided into two bands, and march out, the one by Gate St. George, the other by the East Gate. You, Sir Luchnar, shall lead the one out of Gate St. George, and I will lead the other. He said this last quite eagerly, and the colour sprang up to his face. Gertha looked at him half shyly, then spoke to him. Nay, Sir Barulf, are you not then too old for blushing? Except for the last word, your speech was very wise. But that spoilt it rather, for you must stay behind with us. Someone else must go. She smiled serenely as she spoke. Indeed, she seemed quite happy now, seeing prophetically, perhaps, that the end drew near. "'And I,' said Luchnar, "'may I not go?' "'Go, fair knight, and the Lord keep you from all harm.' But Barulf said, smiling also, "'As for me, Queen Gertha, you know best, so I will stay behind and hope to get a good drive at the three dukes. They will keep, doubtless, May the Lord make their hands light. But who shall go in my stead? She looked round the noble assembly, and her eyes fixed on a young knight, who sat over against her. Their eyes met, and he seemed to Gertha to resemble somewhat her king, who was waiting for her near the poplar trees. So she said, Sir Knight, I know not your name. You, I mean, with the blue surcoat and the golden chevron on it. But will you take this service upon you? He had been gazing at her all the time they had sat there, and when he heard her speaking to him, it must have seemed to him as if they two were alone together, for he looked this way and that, just as though he feared that someone might hear what they said, one to the other. He rose and fell before her feet, not knowing if he were in heaven or not, for his yearning was so strong that it almost satisfied itself. He muttered something almost inaudible, about his unworthiness. She gazed at him as he lay there with that inexpressible pity and tenderness in her face, which made all men love her so, trust in her. Wait, fair knight, and rise, I pray you. Have you father or mother alive yet? No, lady, he said, still kneeling, like a suppliant for dear life. Any sisters or brothers? None, Lady Gertha, now. Have you a lover? Yea, one whom I love. Oh, how the look of pity deepened in her eyes! What wonder that every nerve trembled in his body! And would she give it to your charge to lead a desperate sortie, young as you are, with life all before you, as men say? Will she bid me go, 
he said poor boy yet go in the after-time we shall meet again whatever happens and you and olaf will be friends and you will see all his glory what is your name richard farewell richard and she gave him her hand to kiss then he departed saying no word and sat outside for a minute or two quite bewildered with his happiness then came luchnar and they went together to see concerning the men they wanted and as they went they told each other that which was nearest their hearts then said richard this is about the happiest time of my life since i was a child shall we not fight well sir luchnar yes he said we ought both to praise god sir richard that things being so he has shown us so clearly what to do i remember now how often in the past days i used after my fashion to torment myself with thinking however i should pass the time if it chanced that my love when it came for love of all kinds was long in coming to my dull heart should fail me and now god calls us merely to spend a few hours in glorious fight and then doubtless he will give us forgetfulness till we see her again and all this i have not at all deserved for though men's lips form themselves to speak my name often praising it for my many good deeds yet the heart knoweth its own bitterness and i know wherefore i did such things not for god's glory but for my glory does not god then accept a man's deeds even if he stumble up to do them through mixed motives part bad and part good is it not written by their fruits ye shall know them and your fruits how often when i have heard men talking of you have i longed to be like you so brave and wise and good ah the fruits the fruits said luchnar when i think what the lawful fruits of my thoughts were i shudder to see how near the devil's house i have passed pray for me in the battle richard you are very good and humble luchnar he said and i know not what good the prayers of such an one as i am could do you but i will pray yet i myself have been careless about deeds at all i have loved beauty so much that i fear if any crime had at any time stood between me and beauty i should have committed that crime to reach it yet has god been so kind to me and kindest of all in this that i who have done nothing all my life long yet should do this and then die and it is good to do one thing and then die said luchnar farewell so they departed each to his own band and by this time the rain had ceased the wind had risen and was now blowing strong from the sea the clouds were clearing off somewhat but it was not quite bright moreover the moon though it had risen was pretty much behind the clouds the two thousand horsemen went each thousand in its own direction very quietly along the streets they opened gate st george quite quietly also and luchnar passed out at the head of his men now on each side of that gate was a cat tower so a hundred men were sent to each of these to burn them first they were then to follow the main body doing such damage as they could to the petrarii along their way now this side of the camp happened to be very carelessly guarded scarcely guarded at all in fact there was no one in the cats and the guards about fifty in number who ought to have been watching them were asleep some twenty yards off so both parties succeeded in firing the cats taking care to put such store of tow and flax 
mingled with pitch into them that it should be impossible to drown the flames moreover the guards awakened by the trampling of the horses and the roar of the flames were put to the sword as they rose sleepy bewildered unable to use their arms then the two hundred men burning as they went along the altogether unguarded petrarii on their path soon joined the main body and they all rode on swiftly toward the camp just beginning to stir because of the noise and the flare of the burning cats a few minutes gallop brought lucnar to the foremost tents which were fired and then through the smoke and flame lucnar dashed into king boris's camp at the head of his thousand horsemen at first there was scarce any resistance the men were cut down and speared as they ran half armed from out of the burning tents and the flames spread in the rising wind but the alarm too spreading and many bands coming up in good order lucnar was surrounded almost before he knew it so in a pause in the fight he looked about him to see how he and his could die most to the advantage of the people he listened and looked toward the east gate there were no flames to be seen in that quarter where richard was to have fired the great ballistae and the rams and the raft for the crossing of the moat for to leave lucnar about to do something desperate some of king boris's men on that side had heard a stir in the town and the bravest of them had gone to tell him for at this time he was well-nigh mad with his foil and raged like the devil himself to whom indeed he must have been nearly related and the service of telling him anything like bad news was indeed a desperate one however as i said some brave men plucked up heart of grace to go and tell him that the townsmen seemed to be about to make a sally on that side of the camp he answered them first of all by throwing four javelins at them one after another for he had a sheaf of those weapons put by his bedside for that very purpose one of them was wounded by this javelin flight the others by careful dodging managed to avoid him then at last he listened to them and being rather sobered ordered five thousand horsemen to fetch a compass and charge richard's party in the rear when he was well drawn out towards the ballistae which as they were larger on this side for it was on this side that the enemy hoped most to make a breach were farther from the walls that they might be out of the range of the townsmen's engines so when richard came out of the east gate very softly this band of five thousand men was quite close to him and the ballistae were guarded by a great body of archers and slingers and neither horsemen nor archers could be seen because the nights being gusty the moon was at that time behind the clouds so then rolf coming near to one of the great ballistae sent aside fifty men to fire it who were straightway attacked in front and flank by arrow flights so that all those who were not armed in proof were either slain or too badly wounded to retreat the rest rode back in haste to the main body which had halted as soon as richard saw how matters went then indeed would sir richard and all his men have died without helping goethe or the people that went westward much as men count help but the captain of those five thousand thought he would not attack richard from behind lest he should ride down his own people in the darkness who he saw had already had some contest with the townsmen but thinking that he would turn at once toward the town meant to fall on him as he retreated without order but richard 
seeing well how things had really gone, turned round to his men and called out, Keep well together and fight well for Gertha. Then, Sound trumpets and Richard for Gertha. So they dashed right at the camp at the gallop and entered it close to Boris's tent, where it was not deep but straggling. Now Boris, thinking that nothing else could happen, but that the townsmen should all be slain close to the walls, was standing near his tent, talking to some of his captains, and armed all save his helm. For he was now well, or nearly well, of his bruises, and intended to lead an attack the next day. So there he stood, and four captains with him, he twirling his mace about in his nervous excitement, and sometimes looking uneasily at those that stood by, as if he thought they were getting something out of him. Judge of his astonishment when he heard Richard's shout of Gertha, and then the thunder of the horse-hoofs. "'Curse that witch!' he ground out from between his teeth. "'Shall I never hear the last of her? Only, I think, when I have seen her well burnt out of hand, after that—' "'For your life, Lord, for your life! They are coming this way! They will be over us in a minute!' And he turned and ran, and ran well, too and Boris also began to run, and got clear out of the way of the main body, and would have escaped, but that a certain knight, espying him, and knowing well the villainous wolf's face of the man, as he looked over his shoulder, under the clearing moon, turned off a little and rode at him, while he ran like ten men, crying out with a great laugh as he knocked him over, Twice, O King Boris! And indeed, King Boris was not knocked over thrice, for this time the brains were fairly knocked out of his smashed head by the great horse-hoofs, the knight having disdained to use his sword on a runaway. And besides, being a genial sort of man, he had a kind of contemptuous pity for so stupid a brute, and thought to give him a chance. However, when the horsemen had ridden past, the captains came back to see first of all what had become of their lord and master, for they had seen him go over, and with very mixed feelings. They found him, as I said, with his brains knocked out and quite dead, whereat the first, Lord Robert, lifted his eyebrows and gave a long whistle in utter astonishment that so slight a matter as a horse should have slain him, for his head seemed to be solid and mostly of oak. But Sebald, the second of them, lifted his foot and dug his heel deep in the already fearfully lacerated face of the dead tyrant saying as he did so, "'Beast and devil! Remember my sister! I told you then I would do this one time or other!' And again he stamped, "'Said so openly, yet you took me into your service instead of killing me as I hoped you would, madman that you were!' For in his madness of half-satisfied vengeance, it seemed to him that he had slain him with his own hands. But suddenly it came across him how it was, and he said, Yet, O oh God, to think that I am disappointed in my revenge! Yet still it is pleasant to do this, though another man slew him. And again his heel came down on the dead king's wretched face. Then he stooped down, and put his hands to the warm blood that flowed from the wounds, and raised them to his lips and drank, and the draught seemed to please him. Meanwhile Gerard, the third captain, who had at first stood still without saying a word, and apparently in deep thought, suddenly started, 
and catching hold of Seabald by the shoulder, said savagely, "'Fool! Can't you stop that play-acting? Keep it till you are by yourself, for it is thrown away upon us, I can tell you. And don't you see, all of you, that this must not be known? Quick, quick! Help me to carry him into the tent. Here, Seabald, man, lift and quick! Ah!' he said, turning round and glancing about uneasily. "'Where is Irwelt? But you carry him while I—' and he darted off after the fourth captain, Urwelt, who had somehow disappeared, a man of mincing manners, very elaborately dressed. So Sebald and Robert, as they lifted the body, saw Gerard as he ran in great bounds towards Urwelt. They saw his hands slide down to his dagger, but there was no weapon in the sheath. He ground his teeth with vexation, but still went on till he had overtaken his man. Then he touched him on the shoulder and said, "'Erwelt, I want to speak to you.' "'Well,' said the other, "'what is it?' But his heart sank, and he felt as if death stood before him, dart and all, as indeed he did, for Gerard was a very strong man, and as he saw Erwelt's hand go down towards the dagger-hilt, he felled him with a quick blow between the eyes. Then, before he could recover, was kneeling on him, he dragged the broad double-edged dagger from its jewelled sheath, and buried it thrice in Erwelt's breast, then drew it across his throat from ear to ear, then, thrusting the dagger back again into its sheath, after he had carefully wiped it on the white and blue velvet of the dead man's dress, he sprang up and ran back towards the king's tent, leaving the body to lie piteously under the moon, which was shining out from dark purple hollows, between the clouds. The light of it flashed on the poor fop's jewels, shone on his upturned face and gashed throat and feeble nerveless hands. How much more dreadful was that one corpse than all the many lying now nearer to the walls, than those even who lay with ghastly breakings of the whole frame torn by great stones, or slain by wounds that struck them haphazard in strange unlikely places, or slain as they lay already wounded, or who lay with their bodies twisted into unimaginable writhings brought about by pain and fear. All these and many more, many, very many of each sort, they were altogether less horrible than this one corpse of a murdered man. The murderer found the others already in the tent, for Robert had said, Sibalt, don't let us see that. You and I know nothing about it for the present, for we must hold together, and for my part I vote that we let Gerard work for us. He is such a clever fellow. Sibald made no answer. His eyes were dry, his throat was dry, his heart was dry with intense thinking, if by any means he could extend his vengeance beyond the present world. But he thought of all the curses he had ever heard how meaningless and uninventive they all seemed when set beside his hatred. He thought so that I know not into what uttermost hell he had dragged his own heart. He certainly did not feel as if he were on earth. His head grew dizzy. He could scarcely walk under his burden, but somehow between them they managed to get the body into the tent unperceived. Then he thought, I can bear this no longer, I must think of something else just now, but I will make it the work of my whole life hereafter. So then Gerard burst in, muttering from between his teeth, 
so much for one mar plot and sebald woke up and was in the world again so they began to talk robert sitting down and with his elbow on the table stroking his cheek with his open hand sebald standing still with knit brows and blood-stained hands crossed over his breast while gerard walked up and down twisting his fingers together behind his back his cheek all aflush and his eyes glistening and Irwelt's lay stiffening in the moonlight so those three fell a-plotting meanwhile such a hubbub and confusion had been going on before the walls as if the fiends were loose for the archers when richard had passed beyond hope of pursuit having sent a few arrows into the darkness at nothing turned and looked about them now they knew nothing at all concerning those horsemen who had been sent to take richard in the rear so seeing some helmets glittering in the somewhat doubtful moonlight they advanced a little towards them and thinking as a matter of course that they were from the town sent two or three flights of arrows among them as an experiment getting ready to run away in case they should be too many for them doing all this before the horsemen could shout out that they were from the camp and when they did so the townsmen seeing clearly that richard and his men were away opened a heavy fire on everything that they saw and boris's archers believed that the horsemen lied and still shot all they might whereon the horsemen changed their minds and settled that these were another band of men from the town whom they had not counted on and so charged with a good will especially as the longbows and crossbows and petrarii were playing on them diligently from the city walls now the archers were more numerous than the horsemen and though not so well armed fought stoutly throwing away their bows and using their axes and swords nor did they find out their mistake till many were slain both of horsemen and archers and even then they were quite ready to go on with that work from sheer rage and vexation of heart but restraining themselves and being restrained by their leaders they got separated somehow and marched back to their own quarters where one and all swore that they would stay nor move again that night for man or devil whatever happened and so they fell to drinking all they might but sir richard and all his having won through the camp with but little opposition for the enemy were all drawn off otherwhere crossed the river that lay beyond by a broad shallow ford that he knew well higher up it passed by that cottage then took mere bridle-ways and wagon-roads through the woods that lay beyond the river after he had told his men that he intended making a circuit and falling from behind on that part of the camp where Luchna was for he is probably hard pressed by this time said he the sortie being from the first somewhat desperate and wild though necessary and he made this circuit lest he should be cut off before he could reach Luchna. had he known that there would be no pursuit there would have been but for boris's death and the happy clash between the horsemen and the archers had he known all this he would certainly not have gone so far about or gone through such intricate ways where the men could not help struggling so the raindrops fell in showers on their armour as they passed from the low tree-boughs brushed by their crests and lowered spears the moon flashed on the wet leaves that danced in the rushing sea-wind with whir of swift wings the wood-pigeon left the wood how often had richard wandered here in the past days 
what thoughts were his in those old times of the glory of his coming manhood what wonder at the stories of lovers that he read and their deeds what brave purposes never to be fulfilled yet he meant them then honestly enough yet he was to do one deed at the last if only one that was something and as he thought this he straightway drove thoughts of all other things from his mind and thought of what he should do now he called a halt and listened then perceiving clearly that there was no pursuit at all he led his men out of the woods by a way he knew well round toward gate st george but cautiously and quietly for fear of an attack from the camp then after a while they halted again and he heard the noise of the irregular melee i have told you about and could scarcely account for it he heard the noise of the fight about where luchna was and he heard withal another sound that made his heart beat with hope it was a far-off sound swelling and fainting in the rise and fall of the south-west wind that blew from over the sea the sound of triumphant trumpets he leaned forward from his saddle to listen better and many a soldier's eyes sparkled as he cried out suddenly victory it is edwin quick to luchna so away they went toward gate st george at a smart pace they drew rein when they came within a few minutes gallop from the camp that their horses might not go blown into the battle then advanced with as little noise as possible till they drew near and saw the enormous masses of the enemy surging round something which they knew well to be luchna in a desperate case then shouted their leader richard richard for goethe and with one mighty charge which scattered the enemy to right and left they were buried in the enormous multitude that was in vain striving to break luchna's array for he trying to win his way back to the city that he might sally out at the east gate to the aid of sir richard beset as he thought he was as he was doing this he was first cut off from the city and driven back towards the camp and then surrounded whereupon the horsemen having dismounted formed a great square with closely planted shields and long spears set out like the teeth of a great beast and on this square king boris's horsemen that were king boris's no more now had wasted their strength for long for howsoever men of it were slain by the arrows and slings or by the hurling of the long lances yet the living filled up the places of the dead and the square though lessening every moment was not broken when richard made that charge and joined luchna having hewn his way through with most of his men to that square of serried spears brother he shouted hold out yet a while for edwin is coming in triumph over the sea and we must live till then so they joined their two bands and made a thicker and larger square than before having cleared a space by one or two desperate charges and soon the fight was fiercer than ever but the men fell fast before the arrow flights and they grew utterly wearied with standing there on foot in pauses of the fight very anxiously did richard and luchna listen and they heard a snatch now and then of the dear trumpet music and hoped or tried to hope yet it seemed that they must die before help came the greater part at least then an arrow whistled and luchna staggered and bowed forward he was wounded not mortally indeed but it dizzied and confused him 
almost at the same time the crowd opened and there rose a shout of gerard gerard forthwith a fresh band of horsemen charged all armed in proof and splendidly mounted with gerard himself at the head of them how it all happened richard scarce knew but so it was that they broke the terrible hedge of spears and presently each man found himself fighting separately or with one or two friends about him tired men too against fresh ones men on foot against horsemen and all things seemed desperate yet even then between all the clash of the battle richard heard the roar of the bells from all the belfries and the shouting of the people edwin had landed then as he thought of this he grew half mad to think that they should die before the very eyes of their friends and shouted out gertha fight on brave lads and gather together all you may he with some half dozen of his own men tried to gather others again but while he struggled desperately his great sword flashing this way and that but rising duller from every stroke because of the blood on it he was suddenly borne away and luchnar beheld him alone amidst a ring of foes saw his sword still flashing for a little then saw him fall with many wounds and lie dead at peace at last he himself though surrounded by a band of friends was sorely wounded and sick with pain and loss of blood he had nearly fainted and the few around him were falling falling fast under axe and sword and spear when lo the gates open and the cry of edwin for gertha rings all about thousands pour out of the great gates over the bridge there is a sharp fight and the bodies at least of luchnar and richard are rescued for the pirates are driven back to their camp not to stay quiet there for long for even as they stand at bay about their tents the word goes that boris is slain nor only so the moon sinks the east begins to redden and within an hour after her setting many new spears fleck the clear light the advanced guard of the lord hugh's victorious army who have marched night long to come to the help of the fair city close them all about brave sons of the men that go westward boris is dead gerard is dead erwelt is dead sebald lies bleeding to death from four sore wounds robert fled soon but was drowned in crossing the river the cats are on fire the petrarii are in ashes all their camp is one blaze everywhere the foe are throwing their arms away and crying for quarter soon they are all slain wounded or prisoners meanwhile a messenger pale and worn out is brought to gertha and kneels down before her feet he says lady i have a message for you o gertha words spoken before quick good man she says for these things draw to an end and a smile of quiet triumph passes across her pale face three days ago he says the emperor strove to force the passes he and three of his captains were slain and my lord adolf will be here soon thank god she says but you poor man what reward for you ah sleep has overmastered him for he has fallen forward before her so that his head rests on her feet she touches him takes his hand to raise him up 
it is stone cold he is dead but for these men of king boris let the wounded go to our hospitals that they may learn there something of love which they have not even dreamed about as yet let the slain be buried and lie under the earth under the grass among the roots of the land they came to conquer let the prisoners depart unarmed but with provisions for their journey let them cross the frontier and never trouble the good land more lest a worse thing befall them chapter five what edith the handmaiden saw from the war saddle and in the fresh morning sat gertha the queen in the body while her spirit was a long way off and round about her sat the lords and the knights with flushed joyful faces she alone pale though calm and serene for she too was joyful then into the midst of the great hall they bore luchnar dying from his many wounds not in great pain for his spirit was leaving his body gently as if he were worn out merely and gertha rose from her throne and went to meet them that bore him and there was a flutter along the tapestry that the hall was hung with as the wind rushed through the open door and therewithal gertha woke her spirit came again as if olaf had sent it so she gazed at him as he had hoped she might as a queen on her faithful subject before this often a certain uneasy feeling not pity exactly used to come across her when she saw him it used to seem such a hard thing to her that it should be thus it was just such a feeling as might have turned to love with one less constant than gertha but now even this was gone and luchnar felt that it was so even by the look of her eyes upon him and he raising himself hardly said to her queen gertha i am come to say farewell for a little poor luchnar who loved me so nay he said happy luchnar who loves you still in the time to come it may be that lovers when they have not all they wish for will say oh that we might be as luchnar who died for queen gertha in the old time true she said farewell sir luchnar oh how eagerly he took her hand happy luchnar he said faintly then domine immanas tuas and he fell asleep his head falling back for a short time she stood holding his dead hand then gently disengaged it and laid it with the other one crossing them downwards then they carried him out again silently and again ran that tremor through the gold-wrought hangings and her spirits had gone away again and within a while as the great sun rose higher came the sound of trumpets and the roar of the bells from all the belfries adolf was come how near the end drew that noontide was windless cloudless and very bright except that a soft haze had sprung up everywhere from the moist earth into which all things far and fair melted she came from the midst of that knot of lords that had clustered about her and with her dark hair loose stood in the balcony above the people and through the hearts of all thrilled her clear speech god has been very good to us friends and we have conquered and now you must let me go as you promised and you may grieve that i must go and wish me back often 
but still i must go it is not only because i wish to go that i must leave you but i cannot help it i think nay i'm sure that this also is best both for you and me if i were queen much longer you would be disappointed with me yet would not say so because you love me think now i am but gertha the peasant's daughter and i know it was only the spirit of your dead lord working in me that made you love me so but if i were queen for long i should come to be only gertha again so i must go and if you will let barulf who is old but very wise be king there was sad silence for a little when she had finished then a confused sound of weeping and sobs and earnest wishes went up towards the balcony where she stood with her arms lying down her side already she looked as if she were a different kind of being from them she said will you have barulf for your king if you will say so to pleasure me then farewell they shouted barulf god save king barulf and lo even in that shout she had vanished like an angel that comes from heaven when god lends him and goes to heaven again when god calls him gertha walked over the field of battle no meadow of sweet waving grass and lovely flowers but something very horrible to gaze at to pass over yet she did not seem to take note of any of its horrors her handmaiden was with her but when they came within fifty yards of the aspen circle where he lay she charged her to stop and watch all that came to pass there that she might tell the people hereafter so the handmaiden sat down there on the mournful battlefield on some great war saddle that had been thrown down there but gertha when she had kissed her left her and walked toward those aspen trees she was clad in her old peasant's raiment again and was quite without ornament of gold or jewels only her black hair hung braided on either side of her face and round about her head was a garland of yellow flowering stone crop such as he wore in his helmet that battle day but now when she entered the circle of aspens there seemed to be silence over all the earth except that when she first stepped among the shadows of the trees a faint breeze rose out of the south and the lightly hung leaves shivered the golden haze trembled now although all the rest of the battlefield was trodden into bloody mud dry now again but loaded with all dreadful things this spot yet kept the summer flowers neither was there any mark of his grave so there lay down gertha and the blue speedwell kissed her white cheek there her breath left her and she lay very still while the wind passed over her now and then with hands laid across her breast nevertheless this was what edith her handmaiden said to barulf the king and his lords and knights and so i sat on the war saddle and watched and as my lady stepped forward to enter that circle of trees i saw my lord olaf the king as clearly as before he died step forward to meet her and he caught her in his arms and kissed her on the mouth and on both cheeks and they two were together there for hours talking it seemed sometimes sitting on the flowers and grass for that spot my lords is not trodden as the rest of the field is sometimes walking from tree to tree with fingers interlaced but just about sunset time 
i felt as if i must needs go and speak to my dear lady once again and hold her hand again so i went up trembling and lo my lord olaf was not there any more and i saw my lady gertha only lying dead upon the flowers with her hands crossed over her breast and a soft wind that came from the place where the sun had set shook the aspen leaves so i came away thereat the king and his knights wondered and the people raised a mighty church above the place where they lay in memory of olaf's deeds and gertha's love and soon about the church there gathered a fair city that was very famous in the aftertime yet it was strange that this church though the people wrought at it with such zeal and love was never finished something told them to stop by then they had reached the transepts of it and to this day the mighty fragment still unfinished towering so high above the city roofs toward the sky seems like a mountain cliff that went a-wandering once and by earnest longing of the lowlanders was stayed among the poplar trees for ever end of gertha's lovers by william morris end of part six